Welcome to the One Crossing Podcast. Here you can find past sermons along with other exclusive content. Our prayer is that God will move in your life even when you are on the go. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning, Crossing Church. How are you doing today? You doing fine? Doing good. Good to see you. I'm glad that all of our campuses all across this region are joining with us in three states. And if you're inside online, so thankful for you. Got great word this morning that our inside location at uh, the Western Illinois Correctional Center uh, was fully open this last week. Uh, that And they, they have a maximum of 200 people, uh, 50 at a time in four services. And they had 180 this uh, last week. So been a long time real thankful for that six baptisms i think in that uh in that uh, day so god's just doing incredible incredible things there so thankful for that because we love it when people find an intimate personal relationship with jesus christ and that's the one thing that we all have in common because you're really different looking people i'm telling you but that one thing makes us all all the same children of god part of the same family and uh that's pretty awesome and uh, it's okay it's okay to open yourself up a little bit when you're with family right like you can trust family more than like strangers right uh sometimes we can really make fools of ourselves how many of you have like there's been a time in your life or multiple times where you have really made a fool out of yourself it's like oh my if i wish i could like hit rewind on that and uh, and erase that, undo that. But, you know, it was something that happened and you were like this incredibly embarrassed. Well, I'm going to share with you like one of my most embarrassing moments. All right. And it happened when I was in Rochdale before I came uh, to Quincy. And I'm, I, and I'm really thankful for that. And uh, the, the church there was uh, organized what we would call sandwich style. It meant that on Sunday morning, you had two services divided by a Sunday school that was in between. So both first and second service could go to Sunday school either after church or then or before church. And I had already preached first service and uh, I taught Sunday school class. So I was finishing up my Sunday school class. And then I had this familiar uncomfortable feeling in my stomach. And it was one of those feelings in your stomach that you know is going to require immediate attention. How many of you can relate to me right now? Yeah, okay, yeah. And it was gonna require a bathroom and a bathroom needed to be pretty close. Now the problem with this was that here we were in between services Everybody attended Sunday school. So like basically everybody that was going to church, they were there in that moment. And the last thing I wanted to do was to go downstairs and blow that bathroom up, okay? Because that was going to be really, really embarrassing. I didn't want to do that. And one of the things about the Rochdale Church is that they had a parsonage where we, where we lived that was like right across the alley from the church. So it was, it was just a few yards. It was not very far away. So uh, I thought what I would do was uh, just run over there, right? And so I quickly had a short prayer to end the uh, Sunday school class and got out the door and I made one of those walks. (laughs) You're only laughing because you know exactly what I'm talking about. 
Now, one thing about Rochdale was uh, I was pretty much required to wear a suit and tie uh, when, I, when I preached. And so I was in full regalia. I had suit and tie, and it was a double-breasted suit. And I got to where I knew I was safe in the, in the house, and I'm trying to get my suit coat off, okay? And a double-breasted suit, those of you that know what that is, it actually has an inside button and two outside buttons. And, you know, I kind of, I was frantic. So I, I was trying to get my suit coat off and I couldn't get my suit coat off because I forgot that inside button. Finally, I did. And I just threw, you know, the suit coat off into the corner and I'm talking to myself. Does anybody ever do that? Come on, come on, come on. Oh, come on. Yeah, I'm talking to myself. And... Uh, and so, I, you know, I finally got my jacket off and I was convincing myself, I'm convincing myself to hold on, hold on, hold on. So, John Mitchell said, this is way too descriptive, Jerry. Anyway, <laughs> so, you know, next part was, you know, I had to get my trousers down. And so I'm pulling them down, they keep coming right back up. I pull them down, they come back. I forgot that I was wearing a suit with suspenders that day and uh, I finally figured that out I am still talking to myself I finally get the suspenders off I, I you know alright and I make this landing and the sound of relief both intestinal and me vocalizing that I'm a very vocal, vocal person as you know all that went with it, right? And so, I mean, sweating, this kind of looks like this right here. And I uh, look down and pants around my ankles and there is my microphone pack. <laughs> you see that little red light? Can everybody see that little red light? <laughs> you see, up to that moment, I really wasn't embarrassed. Up to that moment, I felt like I was doing pretty much everything right. And then I find out that my microphone is on and broadcasting into the auditorium. <laughs> now, everybody's in there. All the, you know, the big service was second service and everybody's in there. And I cannot tell you what it was like to walk out of the parsonage, across the alley, go into the church with my head down, wondering what was gonna happen, you know, I, cause I didn't know, I didn't know if I was just gonna get stares, if people were gonna just look at me like, or if, if I was gonna get a standing ovation. <laughs> I really, I really didn't know. And I, I was in that like utter humiliation uh, of, of that moment. And for one time, for one time in my entire ministry life, I was thankful that a volunteer came late because they hadn't turned the power on to the receiver. You guys sound disappointed. How is that even? You're horrible. You, okay, everyone needs to like come to Christ at the end of the service. 
because you just revel in the other people's embarrassment, right? What a relief for me, though. Almost much a, as much of a relief as I just had across the street. Now, we all make mistakes, and sometimes we make some big mistakes. And those mistakes can cost us time, they can cost us money, they can cost us relationships, they can certainly cause us a great deal of embarrassment. True? And while we wanna avoid as many mistakes as possible, we definitely wanna avoid the fatal ones. We wanna avoid, avoid the mistakes that can just blow things completely up. And it's the worst of those that I wanna to talk to you about today. In Genesis chapter one and Genesis two, we read the Bible account of creation, that God created a world in six days and everything that we know and everything we see is, are related to those early moments. And what we learn there is pretty arrogant, actually. When, when you read it, it, it it's, it's pretty astoundingly arrogant because what the Bible is telling you is that God created all that he created, not just on earth, but in the heavens above, like the whole universe, like he created that as a backdrop for us. That's pretty arrogant. That we were and are the final character in the creation story, and we find something very different when God creates men and women because it's very intimate and it's very personal. What we learn in Genesis 1 is that when we were created, we were to be a reflection of God himself. Now, how do I know that? Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28 says this, Then God said, let us make man in our image. Hear that? In our image. Uh, after our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. He actually says that twice there. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, over every living creature that moves on the ground. You tell me, what is in our image and after our likeness actually mean? He doesn't say that about anything else. Nothing else that he created has that kind of explanation. What it does is it helps us to understand what God's actually doing. He is doing more than creating. When he made us, he was not creating, he was procreating. When we have children, we pass our DNA, our image, down to them. We know familiar statements like, oh, he has your eyes or she has your smile, right? So God's DNA was the ability for us to exercise reason and intelligence and speech and moral consciousness and creativity and rationality and choice. But it was more than that. 
we see the character of God reflected in his children. Not just his ability, but his character. See, we were both created, if you go back to verse 26 and 28, we were both created for and commanded to rule over the rest of creation, right? Says it two times. He gave us a measure of dominion. That too is like God because God is the sovereign God and he rules over all things. And if he's going to procreate children, then he has an expectation that his children will be like him. And that's why he gave them a measure of that rule. Now notice that God, when he speaks of himself, he uses the plural, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. As a matter of fact, the word translated God in Genesis 1 is the word Elohim, which is in the plural. So if God was trying to help you to understand that he was a singular being, he would have used the word Eloah, which is the singular of God, but he uses the word Elohim, which is the plural of God. And he's not talking about the angels being there with him because nowhere in the Bible does it speak about angels being made in the image of God. This is a reference to the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I want us to go deeper. In Genesis 2, it, it, it drills down into the creation story and makes it more personal, okay? Gives you more detail. In Genesis 2, 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed a man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Now, wait a minute. If you go back to the rest of the creation story, that is not how he created everything else. The way that God created everything else that we uh, relate to and understand is he spoke it. He spoke it into existence and then it existed. But in this case, something else is happening. You notice what God's doing here? He's shaping the man with his hands. He's actually using his hands, almost like artwork, right? And he's not just telling him to live, he's putting his own breath into his lungs. When he creates the woman, he doesn't just speak her into existence, he literally surgically creates a woman from a portion of the man. And then it talks about him planting a garden and he plants that garden as a, an environment for them to live in. This is different. This is very different. And what I see when I read this is that there's an intimacy here. This is an intimate, personal relationship. A relationship that's being created very personally to God. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, what this implies, and when we read this, it implies that God had a habit of walking, strolling in the garden with his children. Pretty amazing when you think about it. What would it be like 
to walk in the garden with God and to be his child, that he would walk with them, he'd spend time with them, he would talk to them, they would have conversations. And you know, when he got done with creation and put man in that garden, he said that it was very good. Not just good, but very good. The first two chapters of Genesis describe what we were created for. It, what it does is it illuminates our true identity. This is who we are, the children of God, literally. Now, we have no idea how long of a time spanned here, but eventually there was this fatal mistake and the embarrassment that came from it and the consequences of that mistake is what the rest of the Bible is about until we get to the very last two chapters of the book of Revelation. It's kind of interesting. So there are two chapters at the beginning, Genesis 1 and 2, where we read about mankind being in a great relationship, intimate and personal with God, and then the last two chapters of Revelation. And in between, you have 1,185 chapters where we're not. So what happened? What was the big mistake that ruined a perfect relationship and set in motion this greatest tragedy of all time? And the greatest tragedy of all time was also the greatest triumph of all time, and that was the death of Jesus, God's son, on a Roman cross. Well, that all began with two trees and the fruit that each one bore in that garden. You can read about it in Genesis 2.9. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye, good for food. And in the middle of the garden, there was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, why would God do a thing like that? Aren't you kind of questioning? Like, why, why, why mess up a perfectly good thing? Why would you even put this tree that you command people not to eat of. Why would you even put that in the garden? It doesn't make any sense. Everything's so great. Everything's so perfect. Why even? I mean, I don't understand, God. That doesn't make any sense to me. Let me help it make sense to you. The second tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that God commanded his children not to eat of, represented a choice. And God gives his children, a choice. Why? Because God has an indisputable right to make choices. Would you agree with that? A sovereign God can make any choice he wants over his own creation, over all things. And so his children made in his image must reflect that, and so they must have a choice. And not just any choice, but a choice of whether or not to love him or love something else over him. A choice to love. You see, God is love. The Bible defines him that way. It says that God is love, right? And love is always, I'll take you to task on this, always a choice. There's no such thing as love without choice. Adam and Eve chose what was right and loving for some time. 
loving God for some time. The Bible doesn't say how long they did, but there came a day when both of them made a choice to love themselves more than God. And sin is the byproduct of love. Since love is a choice, to choose not to love is also a, is part of that choice. That's its dark side. And to choose not to love then becomes just as real as to choose to love. And in this case, that love that was chosen was the love of self over the love of God. In Genesis chapter three, verse six, it says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, huh, the lust of the flesh, and pleasing to the eye, the desire or the lust of the eyes, and desirable for gaining wisdom, the boastful pride of life, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. In those three selfish acts, what we find is that they chose to love themselves over loving God. Now, what happens after that, none of us can truly appreciate. You just can't. There's this instant fear, right? Immediately, they're afraid. Afraid of God. They've never been afraid before. You know, the Bible says there is no fear in love. It says perfect love casts out fear. And when they chose to love themselves over loving God, fear came in. Part of sin was this fear, fear of the Father, something they'd never had before. Second thing that entered into their heart immediately was shame. Because they realized they'd violated what God told them not to do. And what did they do? They tried to cover themselves with leaves. They realized they were naked. They felt shame. Isn't it interesting that in this very first scene of creation, what we see is this intense embarrassment because they have made a fatal mistake. What happened? The relationship was broken. Judgment followed. They're expelled from the garden. The father is separated from his children. Sin has entered the world, and death has entered the world as a result of sin. The clock starts ticking. Before this time, time didn't matter. Before this moment, time didn't matter, but now it does. Now there's not just a birthday, but there's a death day because sin has entered the world. And one story, this beautiful story that God has created is torn in half and becomes two stories, an upper story and a lower story. That one choice, that fatal mistake set in motion every single negative choice from that time until right now, today. And when you think about it, like just one, you could like for years, for millennia, you could be doing things right and you have this one choice and then suddenly everything's blown up. It would seem that love really isn't that strong. Seems more like some sort of fragile thing, like a beautiful piece of crystal that's dropped on a hard surface and shatters into a million pieces and it's impossible for it to be repaired. But hold on, don't underestimate the power of love. 
you read that in Genesis 3, verse 15. God says, I will put enmity or hatred between you and the woman. He's talking to the serpent. And between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Now, that sounds poetic, and it sounds confusing, and what does that mean? Well, it's talking about the seed of the woman is going to be a human being, right? Because that's what mothers have. They have, you know, human mothers have children that are human beings. And the seed of the serpent is talking about the evil that's going to be produced. And it says that the seed of the woman is going to bruise the head of the serpent, a death blow to the serpent, but the serpent is going to strike the heel of the seed of the woman. And what you actually understand in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, you're finding the very first promise of a coming Savior, of a Messiah, that the power of Satan and the power of death and the power of hell is going to be ultimately defeated, but it is not going to happen without some pain. Something bad is going to have to happen to undo this horrible mistake. Right in the middle of this unequal tragedy, there is the smallest ray of light that appears. Now, it would have been hard to see at the time, but today it shines you can look at it and it shines with the radiance of the sun because what we realize is that in love, because that's what he is, our heavenly father is going to come and save us. He would do what none of us could ever do and that is show the true power of love. In Genesis 3.21, we actually see a demonstration of this, an illustration of this. The Lord God, it says, made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. So they're naked, right? He's covering their sin and shame. But in order to do that, he decides to do that with a coat of skin, right? Of skins, which means what? What did God have to do? He had to kill something, right? He had to shed blood. He had to shed blood in order to be able to provide what would cover their sin. That's an illustration of what was coming because that's exactly what God did when Jesus died on the cross for us. He made a covering to cover our guilt, our sin, and our shame. In the, in the, the Bible, the word that, gets, that is used for that is the word atonement. Maybe you've heard that term, atonement, because the word atonement actually translated as covering. Jesus is our covering. He's our atonement for sin. And when Jesus came and did what he did, his perfect love, cast out fear. And what does he do? He invites us back. He invites us back into the garden to end the dominion of death, to stop the clock once again forever so that the two stories become one again. Now, don't get proud about this because it's not that you've been closing the distance or that I've been closing the distance with God. It's been him the whole time. It began as you start in those 1185 chapters with 
animals and sacrifices to a distant and unseen God. But to God, that just, sorry, that's just not close enough. And then it was priests and prayers in temples and in synagogues to a closer but still separated God, and that still wasn't nearly close enough. And so God became a man. We know him as Jesus. And he came here to walk beside us and to teach us and to be our priest and eventually be our sacrifice on the cross. But that still wasn't close enough for God. And he died on the cross and he applies his perfect blood to pay our debt. And it's still not close enough. No, not nearly close enough for God. So the son goes back to the father and the father sends his Holy Spirit and his Holy Spirit now comes and dwells inside of us. And you think, surely God, now that's close enough not to be on the outside walking beside us, but to be the inside of us, motivating us from the inside in our hearts. And God says, nope, that's still not close enough because a day is coming when God will recreate us and he will in perfection place us back in the garden again to walk with him and finally and forever it will be close enough. That's the whole Bible in a nutshell. Those first two chapters getting us to the last two chapters when Christ is all and in all. Now, I started the sermon severely embarrassing myself. I hope it doesn't go viral. Yeah, I've had plenty of embarrassing moments. And I imagine you have too. And many of them you probably would rather just keep to yourself and hopefully everyone else will keep the memory to themselves and you can move on with your life. But there is one embarrassment I pray to God none of you will ever have. And that is the embarrassment someday, a day that every single one of us will face the day that we depart this earth and stand before an immortal, eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing God from whom you can hide nothing, to stand before him and be responsible for all you've done in this life. Because that, my friend, is the most embarrassing moment any of us will ever face. And it isn't just a mistake. It's a fatal mistake. Some of you may have wondered if you've read your Bibles and done some study, you read something in your Bible about the unpardonable sin. And you've wondered, have I committed that? Is that possible? Let me tell you what the unpardonable sin is. The unpardonable sin is to fail to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, to not have his atoning blood covering you so that you can stand before an immortal God without embarrassment or shame because he has covered you. He has covered your nakedness your sin, your guilt, and your shame 
with the blood of his own son. The Bible says that everything is recorded in heaven, but if your name is in his book written in his blood, you'll never have to face the opening of those other books. Save yourself of having the most fatal mistake, the most embarrassing moment. I implore you in Jesus' name. We're moving to a time of decision. Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that choose to give to this ministry. It's because of your generosity that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit thecrossing.net forward slash podcast for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, tagging One Crossing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.